opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hey there, everybody. This is your co-host, Jason Castanquay, and you're listening to Main Menu for the 25th of January, 2019. Just when you thought 2019 was getting boring, we crank up the volume and bring on the stars. This week, Shelley Brisbane joins us under the Main Menu Disco Ball as we talk about her book, iOS Access for All. Shelley shares some of her inside knowledge about the electronic publishing world, her career in tech and podcasting, along with the wealth of resources contained in her book. It was a fun segment, so let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu. This is Janine and the gang. And this week, we have a very special guest with us. We're going to be talking iOS with Shelly Brisbane. Hi, Shelly. Hello. Janine and the gang is a band from the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking so. Just don't ask about the outfits. And from that band, playing bass is the <laughs> incomparable Randy Rusnak. Hello there. And on drums, we have Jeff Bishop. Wow, okay. And of course, we have Jason Castingway on keyboards. All righty. Hey, everybody. And playing lead guitar, the incomparable Paul Henriksen. Woohoo. I was going to say cowbell. Frivolity aside, let's get to the business of which we are here to speak, and that would be about the new iOS Access for All, iOS 12 edition. This is a book that, Shelley, tell us a little bit about the history. How long have you been doing the iOS Access for All books? So many years. Um, I (laughs) am now on my sixth edition of the book. The first one covered iOS 7, and we were up to 12. So one OS a year, one book a year. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it grows larger every year, hopefully better, but at least larger. Now, Shelly, tell us a little bit more about yourself, because a lot of people may not know your history, and you know, I know quite a bit about it just because I've known you for quite a long time. And you've, you've got just an amazing history. Can you kind of give us a little bit of background on that? Sure. Well, uh, I was when I was born as a small child. I, I had no, a visual. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I had. I, I was segueing. I was. I was doing this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I said when I was born as a small child, I had a visual <laughs> impairment, and I um, went along through school not knowing exactly what I wanted to do, but that I always wanted to write, and so I got a degree in journalism. And then I had to figure out what a person with visual impairment could do with a degree in journalism uh, in the eighties. And the long and short of it is that I eventually got a Macintosh computer and taught myself how to use it and also how to troubleshoot it. So for a while, I did this sort of freelance thing of writing and doing desktop publishing because that was the other thing. I had been trained as a a journalist, but I couldn't do a very good job of laying out publications, which was what a lot of people had to do either in journalism or in nonprofit PR where I was working. And desktop publishing made it possible for somebody with visual impairment, had had some vision, uh, to use a computer and lay out a publication that looked pretty respectable. So that's kind of how I started. And the uh, over the years, I continued to write about the Macintosh. I ended up at Mac User Magazine, where I was an editor. And then I wrote for most of the Macintosh magazines in the 90s. And after I left that gig, I continued to do freelance work. And I found, my, found that what I really loved to do was write for publication or edit publications. And so I had a variety of jobs and freelance gigs in publications. Um, In the mid-2000s, I got interested in podcasting because I loved audio. I don't know why I never went into radio when I was in college like sensible people do, but I didn't. Um, But I got into podcasting both as a technical interest and as just something fun to do. I love to hear the sound of my own voice like we all do. And I ran a magazine called Blogger and Podcaster for a while. Anyway, so I had all these writing and publication jobs all in the mainstream, which was really, to be brutally honest, it was very important to me because I did not feel comfortable working in an environment that was all about accessibility or disability. And you can, you know, call that a... a um, weakness or insecurity, if you like, but that's kind of where I was at. But... 
there came a point where I, I'd written, and I'd also written a lot of books about technology. I wrote mainstream Macintosh books, uh, how-to guides for uh, web development software and networking, which was an interest of mine. But there came a point when I, having gotten excited about the iPhone, like almost every other Apple person did, realized I couldn't use it because it didn't have voiceover, it didn't have any accessibility features. And then two years later, it finally did. But those two years of not being able to use products from a company that made stuff that I really liked affected me. And they really made me think about accessibility. And they made me think, oh, well, I, won't, I have something to offer because I have all this, you know, background as a writer and an ability to explain technical topics to people. I'd like to apply that to accessibility. And first of all, I needed to learn it myself. And then I wanted to write about it. And after a few more years, that's kind of how iOS Access for All came to be because I was really just looking for an opportunity to, I had several goals in mind that all kind of worked together. I had published a lot of books with uh, book publishers, but by 2012, that was hardly a thing you could do anymore. And I certainly couldn't get a book proposal for a book about accessibility uh, funded. So I said, all right, I'm going to self-publish a book about a topic that I've never written about. <laughs> and we're just going to see how that goes. And um, so I did that. And um, a few other things have happened to me since. I've done a lot of podcasting. Currently, I have a job as a producer and web editor at a, at a public radio show. But uh, my love has always been the combination of Apple technology, technology in general, really. But if, I ha if I'm really honest about it, I'm, I'm, the Apple ecosystem is a, a primary interest of mine. And then I dug into accessibility with iOS, and I felt like I had something to contribute, like I say, because I was a professional writer, and I felt like a lot of the material that was out there about iOS accessibility was kind of put together in little bits and pieces. A lot of it covered only voiceover and not low vision and not the other accessibility tools. And so I said, all right, I'm going to put it all under one roof and I'm going to write about all the accessibility features. I'm going to do it in a professional way. And what I'm going to promise people when they buy the book is that it's going to be well-written, it's going to be well-organized, it's going to be well put together. And um, hopefully, you know, and, and a few people seem to like it. So that's, that's kind of the, I'm going to say a short version. It's kind of the middle-sized version of my career. <laughs> now, before we get into the book, let, let's make sure that we recognize, you know, where people can hear more of your voice around the interwebs. So, so if you want to go really, really retro, you can listen to the Shelley's podcast. <laughs> that's, right? that's very retro. Yes. Right? You can go back and a few years old and check all about her rants and raves with her husband. My and, first uh, podcast was on December 30th, 2004. And yeah. It was in Shelly's podcast. And it was kind of a joke because I named that show because I couldn't think of a good name for it. And <laughs> I'm I waiting for another episode, by the way. I still have it. <laughs> I'm still subscribed. You know, Somebody still. cornered me at a party a few weeks ago and got all serious and looked at me and said, where is my show? Where is Shelly's podcast? And I haven't made one in a while. I did about 260 of them. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And I went back and listened to all of them, too. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, see? Dedicated fans. Yeah. And I've done so, a few others. I did I did a podcast called App Store Pundit for a while. I'm yep, you a did that. panelist yep. on I did about sixty-three of those. I loved that show and I don't even That was a fun show. That thank you. I, I enjoyed it. I I could probably if I had time, Why I could you, probably go you back. You should do more it. of that one. That was fun. <laughs> What I basically what I promised was that I would do an app review in ten minutes. I would do one review per episode, and I would do it in ten minutes. Yeah. And I did like sixty of them. And I would, and I was also like, it was a mainstream audience, but I always talked about accessibility. I was always like, if there, especially if it wasn't accessible, I would, if it was accessible, I would sometimes save that till the end. But if it wasn't, I would tell you, and I would tell you exactly why. And that was kind of the secret sauce for that show. Well, and then, and then now you did I do the this parallel 1.0 because we get there's two versions. <laughs> see, there's two versions of said show. And so, you you know, parallel 1.0 was just you all by your lonesome. Yes. Right. And your guests, of course. Yeah. And, parallel. And then, and, then what, and then what happened? You got invited then, to, to such an amazing place. What was it? I got invited to join the Relay FM network, which yeah. does podcasts you might have heard of, like Upgrade and Connected and um, all those famous uh, techie tech podcasts. And, and they let me play in their sandbox. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. And she's coming out with the perpendicular yes soon. <laughs> i was yeah. supposed to tell people that so, that was going to be the april fool's surprise for everyone that was jeff's well, idea the, the perpendicular, We're gonna do the perpendicular. And, uh, yeah so stay tuned for that <laughs> coming near a theater near you no pressure so, yeah 
None at all. So now let's get to the book. Before we get into the actual book itself and all of the many things in the book, let's talk a little bit about what it takes to actually put together a publication because the book is is not a small book, okay? How many pages are we talking and and what is your process for putting this together? Depends on the format. I've started giving a word count instead of a page count. The PDF, <laughs> PDF version rolled in at 685 pages. Now, I will say that it's 14-point mm-hmm. font for text, so it's a little big, but still, it's, it's, it's kind of massive. It's It's like a Harry 000. Potter novel. It is. I, I, you can ca- Google is amazing because you can find out how many words are in each Harry Potter, Potter novel. And I found out that my book is about the size of a middle-sized Harry Potter novel. Well, you don't, know, don't ask me which one. Book three. Book three, right? I was just going to say, dare I call it Game of Phones? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's man. excellent. I, that should be the next that. edition, the name of the next edition. I, I think oh, that might be gosh. a podcast episode, yeah, though. I've been wanting awesome. to talk about the book on my own show. I might steal that. That's good. <laughs> that was classic. That was great. Well, if you knew what a fangirl I am, it, it would not surprise you at all. So, yes. So, so somewhere, um, you asked me the process. So yeah. the, the first thing I had to do was figure out, okay, you're writing a book about accessibility. What's the most accessible possible way to do that? And I decided to do the EPUB format because I kind of engineered no backwards. Pass. <laughs> yes. I kind of decided, I engineered it backwards because my original thought was I should do like a Daisy book or something. And it turns out that EPUB, Daisy is based on EPUB. So yay. Uh, even if you weren't, even if it isn't a Daisy book, you can get it on your Victor Reader Stream or any other device that will read an EPUB. The, the, obviously the Apple devices. EPUB is a uh, standard format. Uh, then people ask me to make a PDF. Don't get me started. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, but that was the th- so I said, all right, well, now how do I make one? <laughs> and uh, I, I naively did the short version. I'll do the short version because the last thing I did on Shelly's podcast, by the way, was like 30 little short episodes about how, I how I made the book. Yeah. And, and that, was, um, that was sort of a, a, a trick. It was um, Napod Pomo, which was National Podcasting Month, and I did one show every day. And basically, it was like, I'm going to write a book. And by the end, it was like, oh, my God, I wrote a book. Um, <laughs> but I had this idea to do it in EPUB, but I was like, well, how do you do that? Because you don't open up an app and write in EPUB. You have to write in some other format and style the book, design it in some other format, and then you have mm-hmm. to put it into EPUB. And Apple Pages allegedly did it, but I found out after I had written most of the first edition that it was not a good job of it. And so the, the long the short of it, and it was quite long, I did a lot of research. I got a lot of software, most of it free because I was, you know, working on a shoestring. The long the short of it is I now make the EPUB essentially as a series of XHTML pages, which is very much like HTML, the web format, and I have a cascading style sheet that I use. And so I write in a text editor and I have like 20 text files and I have to run uh, EPUB checkers against it to make sure that it formats properly, which is a major thing. And every time I try to change it, I find some reason that converting it to another format would be more work than what I am doing. Uh, but anytime you change any sort of heading or subheading, or if you rearrange the book, which I did a little bit of this time, uh, there's a lot of work. Um, as far as accessibility, assess, accessible tools, what you would want if you were doing, I use BB Edit on the Mac, which doesn't happen to be voiceover accessible, much to my sadness, because it's a wonderful app. But if you were going to do what I'm doing, you would need a text editor that would speak HTML and that would have syntax highlighting and all that good stuff. And then you would need uh, of open source stuff like EPUB check, which checks against the EPUB standard and then spits out. All an EPUB is, is a zip file. And inside that zip file are all these XHTML files and image files. But then there are files that tell you whether the EPUB is actually well-behaved so that the table of contents works and all that good stuff. And so I have spent a long time uh, talking at length about uh, the, uh, the sort of uh, highs and lows of this process. And I thought, okay, well, I figured it out. I understand it. I wrote a lot about it. I talked a lot about it. And then after I did the first edition, somebody said, you know what it would be really cool is a PDF. And I said, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> wow. Um, and I got to find a PDF reader. Well, and th- the fascinating thing about that is it was, it was frankly, it was, it was blind users, and it was a lot of people who didn't know what EPUB was. And even when I said to them, it's what iBooks on your 
Mac or on your uh, iOS device reads, or you, there are Windows uh, friendly EPUB readers that are accessible. Uh, there's one called EPUB Reader. Yeah, and um, I said, you know, you can't, you can put it on the Victor Reader stream. I get that question a lot. But people said, yeah, but I know PDF. I understand it. I know how to fight it. I know that if you make an accessible PDF for me, I can put it in any app that comes with Mac or Windows that reads PDF that I'm familiar with. I, I know that devil, even if it is a devil. And so I have not been able to convince about 20% of my customers that EPUB is a better format. And so that's why I make it. And I, it's sort of part of my brand to complain about making it. But what I'm secretly hoping is that my customers will come to me and put their hands on my shoulder and say, Shelly, you don't have to do that anymore. And they haven't done it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Shelly, there's been a number of, of books related to accessibility and iOS and all of them have sort of centered around blindness or voiceover specifically. What, how does your book, I mean, I, I guess it's in the title, but how does your book really differ in that, you know, what, are, what should someone expect when they get this book? The way it's organized is around different kinds of disabilities and sets of features. And that's also kind of the way iOS organizes it. So, Voiceover and voiceover-related features are in one chapter. Low-vision-related features, including the speech tools that you have access to if you have some vision, are in a different chapter. And then hearing impairment-related, hearing-related stuff is in one chapter. And then there's another chapter. I actually, in one case, combined uh, motor and cognitive disability stuff because guided access is really the only thing in iOS itself that deals specifically with that. But that way somebody can pick the book up and just, there are a number of other chapters too, but I start with that and I say, if you're a blind user, you're probably going to spend most of your time in the voiceover chapter, but then I'm also going to link you to the appendices where I have all the voiceover gestures and the braille gestures and the keyboard shortcut gestures. If you're a low vision user, you're going to spend more time in chapter four, but I'm also going to give you a section about how to use voiceover as a low vision person because a lot of people do that. And so you can choose to go and read the details about voiceover or you can concentrate just on how voiceover and Zoom work together and that sort of thing. So I just try, I don't assume everybody's going to read every word of it. It doesn't hurt my feelings if you don't. Uh, I've hopefully made it easy to find just the stuff that you want. Well, as, you Jeff, just, as Jeff says, for so many years we've had, we've had books that dealt with voiceover, you know, the different iOS books. And when I, was in, when I was training people a few years ago, this was the first book that I came across because I had some partially sighted people that I needed, and I needed to understand what Zoom was and how, how magnification worked. And this was the first book that I came across where I could actually go into a chapter, learn about Zoom, learn about magnification. And all the other iOS books I had were strictly voiceover books. So this, if you guys don't know about this book, this is a fantastic book. Thank you. Well, I found it frustrating thing. myself as a low vision user to look at resources. And I was, I was a fairly advanced user and figured out a lot of stuff on my own. But I thought at least I would find accessibility resources where they would address how Zoom worked. And they don't really. They'll say, well, Zoom, turn it on and Zoom. Okay, that's it. Well, there's a lot <laughs> more to it. There are different kinds of Zoom. Also, like the way that chapter is if you knew me really well and you read that chapter, you would be like, well, clearly that's the chapter that I put most of my brain and the way my mind works in because obviously that's my focus is as a low vision person. So I organized it in a way that addresses one, there's several, when you say Zoom in iOS, you're actually meaning several different things. There's the sort of full screen Zoom or window Zoom, but then there are all sorts of other Zoomy type features, if you will, and I list them. And I say, here's like the four different five, four or five different features that can reasonably called Zoom, but here's a name for each one of them so that you don't get them confused, and here's what each of them does for you. And in that chapter, probably more than any other chapter in the book, I just really wanted to understand and explain to people who were like, wait, nobody else told me how Zoom works. Now, I always start with EPUB books looking at the table of contents. And especially in this edition, that was like reading a novella. I mean, <laughs> I had to scroll like a hundred times to go through all of that. And it, it just shows the breadth and depth of this book. It's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I, it's really neat to see all of that. I, I tell people that this truly is the Bible of iOS accessibility. It's, it's truly a, a great a great, great book. So 
Yay, Verily, and then there were shortcuts. <laughs> oh, that's a great transition. So, yeah. Now, you, you cover all of the internal apps, right, that come with iOS, right? Right. Yeah, I did a section about, there's a chapter, now nine, I used to say eight, and I'm having to get used to it because I added a chapter, but chapter nine is a, a description of all of the apps. I don't do a comprehensive how-to on everything, but what I decided to do was take a look at each of the apps, so Mail, Safari, Contacts, all the way down to podcasts and news and all of them, take a look at them, explain to people what they did, give the main features. I started describing the apps because I'm a... And it's not even really because I have some vision, but I, I believe that there's value in being a visual thinker, even if, you have, even if you're blind. And so I describe the way the app appears and where things are. And then I ended up uh, extending that so that I was basically saying, well, here is how this app interacts. How, here's how you interact with this app from an accessibility point of view. Because when I started doing it, some of them were not as good as others. And so there's a section for each app that ships with any iOS device, all the big apps have multiple page sections that describe how to use them. And then the sort of smaller apps that are not really, uh, that don't really merit a longer section, I at least describe what the apps are. And if there are any accessibility issues or special accessibility benefits, then I describe all of those too. So that is, that is a massive chapter and accounts for quite a bit of that table of contents. <laughs> Yeah, it's really long. It goes on and on and on. It's, yeah, it's, it's inter interesting. The Measure app, you know, this is new to, to 12, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. So the, yeah, the Measure app is really kind of fun, and it's sort of a example of, uh, you know, uh, AR. And I don't know, I haven't really been able to do a lot with it practically, but it's it's kind of fun, and it'll it allows you to... Uh, and it has a, the level feature that the compass used to have and it is now in measure, but it allows you to measure things and you can put your, you know, can and find out, you know, is it six inches long or is it nine inches long, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to measure with your, with your phone, which is a pretty fun little g g gadget. And I think I spend three or four paragraphs on it because it's one of these brand new things that it's not worth 12 pages like maps or photos, but it certainly is worth explaining what the heck it does. Not only do you cover the internal apps, but you went crazy and talked about all kinds of other things. And just the categories alone was was quite long. So I wanted to talk about accessible apps. I'm not the first person that's ever done that. And I also want to say that that is the chapter that benefited the most from talking to other people and reading other resources. And I always give credit, but I decided to find a bunch of apps that that were great that happened to be accessible. There are categories for accessibility-related apps, but there's also categories for reading and writing and productivity and file management and transportation and navigation. And I, it's up to, I think it's like 102 apps. I had to take a few out because they were weeded out of the App Store by Apple. And the reason I say that it's a sort of a group effort is that I know that there are places like Apple Viz that are in the business of finding and calling out great apps. In the section where I talk about educational apps, there are a lot of occupational therapists and teachers that know way more about good autism-related apps than I do. And so I say, look, these are, what, this, these are the apps that these guys think are, think are great. Why don't you try them? And I actually, I think that's something I'm going to do for the, the next book is kind of open up that process and get more people involved telling me what apps they really like because... I don't always have the ability to review them properly. I open them up, I look at them, I study the App Store screenshots and descriptions, I talk to people as best I can. And I feel like that chapter is kind of ripe for including people that know the apps really well and can say, you know, this is really a great one as opposed to this is the one that does this thing. Interesting. So now there's all kinds of other things in this book and it's really more of a, a I think of it more like a reference book really. One of the things that I always thought was interesting about your books was the chapters on gestures and also keyboard commands, especially for Bluetooth keyboards. How do you, how do you manage to keep up to date on, on all of that? I mean, some of these things trickle out uh, in, in just odd ways and just people finding these weird keyboard combinations of things. It's really hard. It's, it's one of the biggest challenges because Apple doesn't present us a nice, comprehensive, updated list. Uh, I've had the good fortune to be on some Apple beta programs, and I get some information through those 
uh, resources. I also look, I scour the documentation, and it's not complete by any means, but Apple's accessibility-related material in the, there, there are documentation, there is documentation for iOS. So you can download the iPhone 12, user guide 12.1, and in the back, there are a bunch of gestures and a bunch of keyboard commands. But the, the first thing, I mean, years ago, there were more sort of older, somewhat moldering, out-of-date resources and I started with them and I would add to them and so every time I would find a new one I would just add to my list and there are fewer and fewer new ones with each list I, I read Apple Viz because they always do a great job of you know highlighting not only new features but new gestures so it's just a matter of staying uh, open in the community I bookmark a lot my bookmarks for this book I'm sorry probably should be starting now because <laughs> There's going to be 20 or 30 links that I'm going to need in August, and I'm not going to remember where they are unless I start bookmarking right now. Well, I think we need to face off now about Face ID. <laughs> right? So now you bought a, an iPhone XR. Is that, yes. is that what you got? Okay. Yes, it's red. Right now, so, oh, very good. Okay. So now some of us refuse to go to 10 because we want our Touch ID, you know, and it's not so much about the home button as it is Touch ID for us. For, you know, people like me, for example, <laughs> I think I'm going to be pulled kicking and screaming into 10 land. <laughs> but um, did you did you find that interesting from, you know, a perspective of, okay, you know, I'm going to have to write this book for all kinds of different types of devices and, and I'm going to have to account for face ID and the different gestures that you use with either the voiceover and then I've got to account for it for the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus and 7. I mean, what was that? What was that process like? Yeah, interesting is one way to put it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when when the iPhone 10 came out last year, I knew I had to cover the beginning of Face ID and the new gestures, and I didn't have a 10, and I wasn't going to get one. Uh, I had uh, I I wrote the book with what I the iOS 11 version with what I knew, and mm -hmm. then I had a dear friend who got a 10 on day one, and I basically I said to him, "Will you please review everything I've written?" especially in the voiceover chapter, and help me make it accurate. And he did, and it was. But when I got my 10R, which was in the middle of the process of writing the iOS 12 book, I redid all that stuff, and I learned a lot from experiencing it personally. And, and that's the thing, like, the part of me that wants an excuse to buy every Apple gadget says, see, look, you should have gotten the iPhone 10 right away. And the part of me that is cheap, which almost always wins out, says, well, no, you don't have to buy a new 12.9-inch iPad right now, but it would be great because it doesn't have a home button and, and I need it. So I, I don't have one, but, but that is a challenge. And then the second challenge, which is just more of a writer's challenge that I'm always going to have, is, yeah, how do I give instructions? For example, the, there's a new chapter all about system-level stuff and device management, and that's where you'll find control center notifications and all the things that are... Uh, and iPad multitasking, and all the things that have gestures that vary by device. And the challenge of how to figure out how to write that, and, and also, by the way, that chapter is not specific to voiceover, so I'm writing several different kinds of devices, several different kinds of gestures, and also with and without voiceover. And I think it turned out well. People will be the judge of it, but I tried really hard to put myself in the shoes of somebody who has an iPhone 8 Plus and is a voiceover user and somebody who has an iPad Pro and isn't a voiceover user but might use touch accommodation and, you know, all the permutations. And that was the, the biggest challenge And, and because partway through the book, the iPad Pros hadn't come out. So I had to go back in my final editing and I had to say, if you have an iPhone 10 or iPad Pro from 2008, 2018 iPad Pro and so there's sort of, there's a little bit of convolution, but that was where having done this as long as I've done it made me feel confident that I could, could do it in a way that it could be understood. But I absolutely had to account for all those new gestures. And it was, it, it was essential to have a device that had those gestures, whether it was going to be a phone or whether it was going to be an iPad Pro. And so that's, that's the challenge of being sort of a cheapskate and trying to write this stuff. Now, can, I, I'm going to ask you a question. You can... Tell me you really don't want to answer this, but, uh, you know, your, your book is generally very, you know, you, 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 it's written in a way that it's pretty factual and all of that. Do you editorialize at all or <laughs> have you wanted to about, 
you know, for example, um, I would really want to write about Face ID and how it's less secure for totally blind users and things of that nature. Is that something that, I mean, do you do you write about that? Is well, that it's a fine line you, because yeah. because you could also say, well, do you write? Do you talk about bugs? Because the two problems of talking about bugs is, well, they could be gone by the time the new release that somebody. No, I think bugs is a different thing, though. Yeah, but but yeah, as far as editorial, what I did with Face ID specifically because I have had issues with it, and again, I'm glad I have it because. I can speak more intelligently about what does, why it does and doesn't work. Um, I don't necessarily, in that particular case, think of it as editorializing. I include a lot of tips that say, this is the okay. experience you might have, and if you do, do this. Or, or I'll say, I can't really solve this problem for you, but just know that you're going to be less secure if you disable attention. Uh, where I did editorialize, and it's less of a thing now, is when iOS 7 came out, iOS 7.1 was where they kind of fixed it. But iOS 7 came out, remember, they got rid of all the askeuomorphism. So if yes, you can, right. they also made everything super transparent and super hard to read, and the fonts were thin. So if you were a low vision person, iOS 7 was inarguably miserable. I had started this book in when iOS 6 was alive and kicking. I thought I would do an iOS 6 version, but I was just too late in the cycle. So I ended up waiting until iOS 7 came out. But in the meantime, this really terrible experience came to be in iOS 7. And there were places where I, it, it, was, it, was, it was practical advice for people, but I was editorializing and throwing my hands up and saying, look, they've, they've made it so that it's hard to use. Here is the best I can offer you as far as a workaround. Here are the things that I hope they fix. And I had, us, sections, yeah. I had a section in there called The Woes of iOS 7. That mm. was sort of a, a play on a chapter in a Harry Potter, Potter mm -hmm. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. Well, now tell us, about the journey, tell us about the journey from, you know, Apple releasing that to the point now where we are with low vision. Because I think, you know, uh, Apple really listens. They did, and they did it fairly quickly. By the iOS 7.1, I think I said on podcast at the time, that was the first and probably only release that you could call a low vision release because a lot of the changes that they made dealt with the thin fonts and the low contrast and the transparency problems. They didn't fix everything, but it was clear that they were like, uh-oh, we've got a problem. And that was a point one release. And so I think for that edition of the book, I actually did a fairly major update in mid-cycle. And it took them a couple more versions to sort of smooth that out. I've still felt that their low vision features were kind of unfinished. And even the way that they organize the settings, they have these screens with like two switches on them or one switch on them. And I've always felt as if they wanted to do more and hadn't quite figured out what. And I also think low vision is one of the things that they are poorest at explaining, which is why I am so you know, committed to making my chapter as good as it can be because, and even I feel like I don't get, I, I'm not able in the screenshots that I have in the book to give as much information as I would like about how somebody with different vision conditions would experience it, but I'm doing what I can. Uh, but yeah, I felt like iOS 9 was kind of where it settled down. iOS 10 and 11 had little low vision improvements, but that I've really seen a lot of change there. And Frankly, that was a little bit easier to document and explain than some of the changes to voiceover because those were more about fixing things that were buggy or fixing things that something else that they had done in iOS caused to kind of break. And those were harder to explain, like to, to a voiceover. I was pretty straight with voiceover and I just said, you know, most of my examples in this book are very similar to what they've always been with the you know, changes that have, that, that, that Apple has made, I've updated them, but basically I'm telling you, you know, how to type, how to read, how to, you know, do all the basic voiceover functions and where there are bugs or where there are lacks. I haven't really addressed them to any degree because what I'm hoping is that they'll change, but it's hard to say, well, this is, this is a problem or this mm -hmm. really instituted this problem I don't have a solution for you. And this book is all about solutions. Right, right. So when you did the, the seven book and, and they uh, came out with, you know, 7.1 and resolved that, what was that process like of, of, you know, revising the book? Was that a, was that a difficult process for you as far as making sure people got an up, got updates? And I mean, was that, was well, that? Well, 
it taught me how to do it because, again, like having written tech books for a long time, I knew that with paper books, I mean, they used to do weird things like you would buy a paper book and you could download, well, it wasn't even download, they would have printed errata sheets that you could mail off for. And you'd oh, still- yes, erratas. Yes, of course. Yeah. Right. And and I was like, well, okay, at least we're in the digital age. We don't have to worry about that. So when you download I, a file now. Yeah. Right. When I built the book, well, that was the thing, though. I've built a book. I was like, well, what do I do? Do I have a, a section that they can add? Well, that's not even practical because you have an EPUB book. Yeah. How do you I, do that? I, well, I would have two options. I either have to do the whole book again or I have to link to a page online. And I thought about that. I thought, well, I could link online and I could say, you can always be checking online and then here are my updates. But that made me feel as if somebody was going to always be checking for updates and I might not have any for you today. So, and it, it, it may be, I haven't done that many dot updates, but what I do whenever I do an update is I issue a whole new book. And that's what I send to you. And because you're reading it online, you, you know, you haven't, you probably haven't, you, even though you can in iBooks, you, you probably haven't made a lot of bookmarks or highlights or notations or whatever. So the book that you get, just replace one EPUB file with another EPUB file, is probably not going to disturb the way you've used the book. And, I'm, and you're not printing. EPUB doesn't really, you know, have a facility for printing, which is good for me because it means <laughs> hopefully people aren't passing my book around. So, <laughs> so that's what I do. I just make a new one. That's what I did with iOS 11. Um, I, everybody who bought the book after I announced the iOS 12 book, I sent them the iOS 11 book. And then when the iOS 12 book came out, I sent them a new EPUB for free, which, believe me, was somewhat painful to do. But... That's the promise I made to them. And if it took me this long to make the book and they were eager to have an iOS 12 version, I felt like that was just, that was only fair. And so I just made a whole new one and they'll recognize it. That table of contents you were talking about looks really similar there. And then the, the thing I did a couple of versions ago was introduce a section in the first chapter that says what's new in this iOS version. So you'll know where the new stuff is. And yeah. then in this version, I did add a chapter, which was pretty that was a pretty big undertaking because I had to move a bunch of stuff around and then I had to write a bunch of new stuff, but I felt like it had to happen because there was a lot of good information hidden in the voiceover chapter that nobody would know about if they weren't a voiceover user, like iPad gestures. And so I, you know, pulled that out and made a whole new chapter. And I was like, well, now I know I can do that. Can, can we talk a little bit about the, the business angle of this? Um, you know, about maybe the mechanics of, of how you, distribute the book, how you accept payments. I mean, mean, I'm kind of thinking of maybe people who want to become an author and they're thinking about, wow, you know, okay, I can, I can probably put all this down on paper or, you know, in electronic format. And, but, but what, what was the process and and, and learning path for you when it came to, you know, accepting payments and, and keeping a website up to date and all of that. What was that process like? So I did a lot of reading beforehand. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I wanted to study it. I wanted to benefit from what other people had written. And the problem was that a lot of information about how to do a book like this was kind of motivational. You can do it. You can write your, you know, whatever. And I have very little tolerance for that kind of thing. <laughs> Anybody who knows me just knows that I am, I am just not going to listen to that. So the reason I say that is because one of the books that was most surprisingly helpful to me was a book Guy Kawasaki wrote about self-publishing. I can't remember the name of it offhand, Um, but somewhere in all of that you can do it stuff was a lot of really practical information about, okay, you can publish in Kindle and this is what that means as far as how much you get to keep. You can publish in iBooks. You can pu- This is how to go get a copy editor. This is how to do... Some of it I knew, some of it I didn't know, but it helped me organize my steps. Like, okay, these I kind of made a business plan without making a business plan because I at least knew these are all the things I have to do. And then in addition to all the stuff that anybody else would have to do, I had to make sure that my process was 100% accessible. Mm-hmm. So, that was so first thing I had to figure out, well, what are the vendors? What are the tools I'm going to need? Which of them are going to cost me? And then which of them am I going to have to build myself? So I, um, and I also at that time, uh, Macworld Expo was still around and you could go and listen to presentations. And there were, there were a few people in that community that I knew a little bit who were self-publishers. And so I went and talked to them and I listened to their presentations and I said, how do you do it? And they would be like, oh, you know, you just do it. I was like, well, no, 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 the mechanics, like the, the weeds, get me into the weeds. And I made them tell me, you know, what, 
vendors they used, what tools they used. So, for example, uh, David Sparks, who's written a lot of books about um, Mac and iOS and just uh, general, he's written about Markdown. Um, he put me on to a service called FetchApp. And what FetchApp does, they're in the business of selling digital downloads. And so you basic, the basics of the process is you upload your files to them. They have connections to shopping carts, PayPal, Shopify. And so what FetchApp does is make it possible for somebody to come to your website and download. So there's a, when you click the button on my website, you go to a PayPal gateway, which then leads you to FetchApp, which is where you download the book. And all the stuff about how you get an email that says this is where you go and you know the link you click and all the statistics and stuff that's kept there and so i had to figure out and then i had i had done wordpress websites for my podcast for years and so i knew that it was going to be easy to connect uh the word a wordpress website that i would make myself to fetch app and to uh paypal and paypal i chose for a couple reasons because i knew they're accessible i also knew that i could both take paypal payments and credit card payments internationally and nash and in, in, inside the u.s so it was just like a series of dis, you know you go down the decision tree and you're going well i have three or four choices here which one of them makes the most sense which can i afford which is accessible which connects with this other thing i'm doing and so all that stuff kind of happened for the first edition. And I've pretty much done it the same way ever since. I mean, I've had challenges. Like sometimes people have come to me and said, well, I want to buy more than one of the book. And I'm super happy to let you do that. But I have to write a couple of little lines of code to make that easy for them to do. So customer service is super important to me. If you come to me and you want to buy 40 copies of my book, I'm going to be the, the best vendor you ever dealt with if I can. So, yeah. Have you had requests for Braille copies of your books? Only occasionally. Um, I haven't. I mean, we've already talked about how long it is, so I hesitate to yeah. think how many trees would have to die. <laughs> yeah, well, have, yeah, I wonder how many volumes it would be. Come on, <laughs> I mean, Janine, guess. I, I was just going to say, I don't even want to think about it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to give advice to someone who is interested in, in becoming a book author, what advice would you give them? I would say... I guess it obviously it depends on whether you know you're talking about your your life's work, your passion project, or whether you're writing something like what I do. But I, I guess I mean, and I'm a process oriented person, so whether you whether you call it a business plan, whether you actually write it out in a business plan template, or whether you just understand the steps that are going to be required, do that. Understand, okay, I have this book that I want. It's, it's my novel. It's my joy. It's my love. It's my poetry. It's my textbook. It's my business book. It's my motivational book. Whatever it is, the process is going to be a part of what you do that you're not thinking about because you're thinking about the content, which is great. I can't advise you on the content unless you hire me as your copy editor, but I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. <laughs> but I can say understand all those steps. Like I said, when I was reading that Guy Kawasaki book, one of the things I took from it was this thing has to be done before this next thing does. And then the next thing can come after that because publishing the actual act of publishing that book where you hit the button and say it's out in the world and you post up on Twitter. Once you do that, people have expectations of you. And so be aware of that. Be aware that you are, I think of myself as providing customer service because people are giving me their hard-earned money. So in addition to providing them content that I hope that they will enjoy and benefit from, it's my responsibility to be respectful of the fact that they're trusting me with their dollars. And so I have to treat them well as a, as a, as a vendor. And so that's probably something you don't think about when you're writing your great novel, you know, especially in these days when we're all self-publishing. I mean, even if you go through some, there are lots of companies that will help you with self-publishing. And I even considered some of those Lulu and some of those companies that will help you. You're still going to have a responsibility as, I mean, you're essentially becoming a kind of a business person, even if you don't, like, even if you're not trying to make a whole bunch of money out of it. The fact that, the fact, I mean, I, I guess maybe it comes from the kind of work I've always done, but the idea that somebody would actually give me 20 or 25 bucks in exchange for something that I made gives me a sense of responsibility. So I guess I would say, have that. Okay, so we want you to put your prediction hat on now <laughs> because it's it's nearing, uh, you know, the time of year where we all start dreaming of the next iOS, right? So whether it be called iOS 13 or iOS 14, you think that, first of all, do you think they'll call it iOS 13? 
I've been wondering about that. I don't know. Yeah, I I was wondering about that. I have my doubts. I kind of like iOS 13, just the (laughs) ominousness of it. it. I don't know. I think they're going to skip it. I think they're going to skip it. I think they're going to go to 14. So, I, so I, I think it would be weird for them to skip to fourteen, but I they probably will come up with some sort of nomenclature. Maybe it'll be X, whether it's X I I I, or whether it's some other thing that means thirteen but isn't thirteen. I don't know. So, if you were to you know tell Apple what you would want, so that you could write about it in your next book, what would it be? So, what I want and what I predict might diverge, but we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so, what I want, well, first of all, squash all the bugs, please. Um, <laughs> I, I've wanted this for forever, but as far as accessibility is, I feel like accessibility is getting a little top heavy in the sense that features are added that, that accessibility, I forget how many rows it is when you hit voiceover and, you know, accessibility settings is, you know, 30 or 40 rows or whatever it is. And it just feels like there needs to be some sort of, and and settings in general, I think is this way, but there needs to be some sort of way to streamline the structure of iOS. This is like super boring, but I I really feel like it's getting bloated the way Mac operating systems did back in the day. And they kind of need to streamline it in the the internals of it, in the guts of it. Hmm. Which may be fewer words for me to write, but that's okay. And then I've always wanted some sort of macro ability in the accessibility suite so that I could say, well, this is the set of settings that I want, whether it's voiceover at this speech rate with this stuff in the rotor, or whether it's a combination of zoom and increased contrast and smart invert colors, but not dynamic, not super big text or whatever the combination is. I'd kind of like to macro that out and have that in iCloud so that that could go across all my devices. On a bigger picture, I think they will clearly macOS and iOS are going to get closer. More and more people are using iPads as their primary computer. So some robustness in the gestures and the multitasking and the ability to move around within apps in the system. It seems like that, I I want that. And I also think that will happen. Unfortunately, I feel like it'll probably be slower than I want. You know, I want good file management and I want, uh, if I'm, if we're going to use iPads as, as, computers. I want more things that are Mac-like. I want acts, you know, I want contextual menus everywhere. I want good file management. I want the ability to sort of formalize that multitasking relationship so that now what you do is you put two apps that you use together a lot and they become a multitasking pair. Well, let me formalize that. Let me have something that's, you know, maybe something like uh, spaces would actually be functional in a touch screen in a way that it never was a Mac OS. They're going to come together, and I'm a little worried that as Mac OS and iOS come together, that they will be, the fit will not quite be right for the first version or two. So I feel like whether they call it 13 or 14, this next version of the iOS, of iOS might be a little rough. I feel like the one after that is probably where they're going to get a few more things right. And that's, that concerns me a little bit. Mm. Well, I had a question for Shelley, actually, about the book and the process of writing this book and getting into things other than the things with which you're familiar, you know, the the vision world and the the voiceover world and, and all of that. What was probably the most interesting or shocking or kind of revolutionary accessibility thing that you found in writing this, this, this series of books that doesn't have to do with vision? I think the biggest challenge and also the richest interface is switch control. And switch control is very much like voiceover. If you think about voiceover as something that allows you to move from one active entity to another, whether it be an app or uh, you know, a character or a line or just any way that you move, whether it's via the rotor or flick. Switch control uses that kind of interface, except that there's a way in which it's more complicated because you have to set a lot of settings that are specific to the type and number and arrangement of switches. So a switch represents a gesture. If 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 I need switches... I might have one switch whose job it is to tap, another switch whose job it is to flick right. It has two positions, so it can flick right and flick left. Another switch whose job it is to uh, do multiple taps or any, any gesture you have to assign to a switch. Then you have to 
indicate the behavior, how you want the switch to behave when you activate, how you want switch control to behave before you activate the switch. They call that scanning. So switch control is always scanning from item to item to item. And then when it, when the switch control reaches the item that you want to use, you activate your switch. And the, the layers of that are very dense and very specific to the individual who's using switches. And I, read a lot about switch control, but I didn't understand it until I went to ATIA one year and I actually saw a presentation by a company that develops switches and they also do this amazing thing, which I think you almost have to do to use switch control well, is they build rigs composed of an iPad and multiple switches that are customized to the abilities and uh, often the, the physical arrangement of, of, the, of a person's wheelchair. Uh, and they give them this iPad that has all these switches connected and they show them how to use it. It's a highly individualized process. And so I can describe all the things that switches do, but I think it would be, unless I was doing that on a daily basis, I don't think I could explain the layers of how to design a switch control system for an individual in near the detail that I would want because it's it's just it's 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 a monumental thing and the fact that it works and the fact that I, I think Apple kind of did an amazing job there's still a lot of things that it probably could do more but those those companies that AbleNet is one that make switches and also make rigs for people uh, they do just really cool, amazing things that you have no idea about when you're focused on vision stuff. Switch control is the sort of the, the big kid on the block because you have external sure. hardware devices that connect, but there's also assistive touch and touch accommodation that are all designed for somebody who has some ability to interact with the touch screen, but either they have to press harder or they are prone to pressing accidentally uh, right, tremors and things, right? Yeah, right. And so again, like all of this has to be super customized. And yeah. I'll be honest, like the chapter where I cover that stuff, I really feel like, I mean, I'm providing a reference and I describe it as best I can. I feel like I'm describing it for people who are inexperienced with it. But once you actually dig in, if that's your life or a patient's life that you're working with, a client's life that you're working with, you're going to have to have some highly specific knowledge to make that stuff yeah. for somebody. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's why I said earlier, you know, that this book truly is a Bible of iOS accessibility. It's, it's amazing what one can learn, you know, because we all tend to focus on the area that we need specifically, you know, in this case, voiceover. That's why I'm right? so happy when trainers pick it up because, I mean, I, I get good feedback and, and, you know, frankly, a lot of it is, thank you. I like the book. It's great. I, keep waiting for the person who says, well, here's the thing that you don't cover at all. Go learn it. And I'm happy to do it. Well, how can people find this thing? I mean, we've talked about this for about over an hour and, uh, you know, which is awesome, but we want people to go get it. So yes. how can people find you and contact you and, you know, give you money? And, <laughs> you know. Take your money. I'm trying to fund a trip to CSUN right now. So. Yes, exactly. Yes. So uh, if you go to iosaccessbook.com, you can uh, buy the book in EPUB, PDF, or from the iBook store if you want to, which is the same as the EPUB, but it's easier for people, some people, I guess. You also will find the table of contents that Jeff spoke of. Uh, it's on a page all by itself. So if you want to see that table of contents before you buy, feel free. And then uh, I have not... A, updated it yet. I have a sample chapter on the book. It's the Siri chapter, chapter five. Uh, right now, that's the iOS 11 version, but that's available absolutely free. And as soon as I get a spare moment, I will be updating that to iOS 12. It's been pretty popular. I have a few hundred downloads of that. So iOSaccessbook.com, the book is $25. And um, every penny, penny of it goes to helping me get to see <laughs> or to buy the next Apple device that I absolutely have to have in order to do the iOS 13 version. Hey, have you thought about doing a bundle where people could buy the EPUB and PDF combined? 
people have asked me that. I, I kind of wonder whether that would be something people would want. I mean, there's no reason I, I couldn't do that. The joke I always have because the PDF has been such a trial for me to make is that I should charge should double. Double, double it, right? Yes, $50 um, for the PDF. Which would make sense to nobody. But <laughs> I'd be like, first listen to these 30 podcasts and then you'll know why. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Yeah, but yeah, that's if great. people wanted to bundle, I mean, I, I don't see why I couldn't do it. I just haven't gone ahead and done it. But uh, the other thing I do and I need to update these as well. I, I thought for a while, we talked about the apps chapter. Um, there are, are sections about each app in that chapter. And I took those sections for the most popular one, uh, ones, uh, mail and phone and Safari and maps. And I made these things called chapters, spelled C-H-A-P-P-T-E-R. And I put them on uh, the iBook store for a dollar. And oh, people oh, bought wow. a few of them. I need to update them. Uh, but the idea was that, you know, somebody might want to get a better sample of the work that I did. I gave them the free chapter, but if they wanted to know how I covered a particular app, then they could go and spend a dollar at the, at the iBook store. And those are something I need to update to in the back of my, when I get a, a little time. But um, the yeah. other way to keep up with me is uh, I'm on, on Twitter. My personal account is Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. The book also has an account, iOS Access Book. And I try to keep those posts limited to book-related stuff. Um, and also I'm, well, I talk about the book on podcasts occasionally. There was another one I was going to plug. Yeah. So let's mention all the podcasts you are on now. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Come on, go. Woo. Cause that could, so, that could take 10 minutes, right? What they so, so my show parallel is on the relay. If I'm a proud member of relay FM and that's at relay.fm slash parallel. The conceit of the parallel is that I get together somebody from the mainstream community, somebody from the accessibility community, and we talk about a tech topic Accessibility comes up, but does it dominate the show? I'm also going to start doing a few single guest shows because every once in a while you get a topic where it's hard to pair people, but they have really interesting things to say. So watch for a few little format tweaks in, in, in parallel. I do have a show every two weeks, and uh, I really love it if you listen to that. I also am a panelist over at maxaccessibility.net, the Maxaccessibility Roundtable, where we oh, talk about Max stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we stream that live every other Thursday at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. So if you watch on Twitter for the Maxisability account, uh, you can. And I, I know Jeff has listened a few times because we, we will also take your live Twitter comments on the show when we're yes. streaming live. So, you know, come on over. And then uh, I can be found over at uh, the Blind Bargains podcast. I'll be doing uh, CSUN coverage for them again this year, which is a blast and a half. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's that's all I can think of to and and well, the, the, the parallel uh, relay.fm slash parallel and it has a Twitter as well, parallel pods. So that's probably yeah. enough enough plugging. And again, look forward to the perpendicular coming to a podcast <laughs> quiet right. review. Well, on that happy note, Shelley, we want to thank you so much for being here on Main Menu and uh, jamming with the Main Menu band. Um, Janine and the gang. Comes and, uh, full circle. Well done. Under the disco ball. Yay. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Jeff, Randy, Jason, and Paul. And me, of course, here with Main Menu. Shelly, we've got to have you back because we do have to talk about shortcuts and automation. One love of it. the things I would, I would happily love to get into. And we will rewind this episode when she comes back and see if her, her predictions have come true. Uh That's right. Now I'm being held accountable. (laughs) Oh, that's all right. That's all fun. This is a blast. Thank you so much, Shelly. Thank you. For a limited time, Ira is providing guests who are registered with a free account with the opportunity to try the premium service with a seven-day free trial. If you don't already have the app, you can get it from the Android or iOS app stores or go to ira.io slash app. After you open the app, you will want to activate the button that says tap to use Ira as a guest for free. You'll have to register with your email and phone number and you will receive a text message confirming your registration. Once you are registered, and for those who are already registered as a free guest, you will find a button on the home tab of the app that says tap here to start your seven day free trial. You will have 30 minutes over the period of seven days to try the service. Some of this time will be spent setting up your preferences and profile. Once that's done, you're free to use Ira for anything you're needing, whether it be sorting mail, filling out an inaccessible web form, or research nearby stores or restaurants. To learn more about the service, go to ira.io. That's A-I-R-A dot I-O.
Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening on ACB Radio Mainstream at 9 p.m. Eastern, repeating every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can tune in by going to acbradio.org mainstream, use ACB Link for Android or iOS, grab it as a podcast, or call 712-775-4808. Do you have comments, suggestions, or even a submission of your own you'd like us to consider? Feel free to email us, mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also reach us on Twitter at mainmenu. Please note that airing of any submission is subject to approval by the main menu team. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon.